Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Surgery Podcast. My name is Nikki Clinch, and I am your host. We have another episode of our Surrender series for you today, where I get to sit with the amazing Zoe Blasky. Zoe is the founder of the hugely successful Motherkind podcast, which is a self-empowerment platform for modern mums. Through Motherkind, Zoe coaches mothers of all backgrounds, from global CEOs to full-time mums, on how to navigate a huge challenge that is motherhood. Zoe is the host of the Motherkind podcast, which is the UK's number one family podcast on iTunes today. She is an amazing human being. And in this episode, Zoe shares with us the huge process of surrender that she had to go through when she became pregnant with her first daughter. That transition of letting go of all these ideas and pictures of how things should be and who she should be and how she should be doing it in order to completely surrender to what is. Zoe shares with us the healing journey she went through when she was pregnant that led to her having the home birth that she dreamed of and then the huge transformational process of actually becoming a mother learning how to be mother which then led to her of course birthing mother kind it's an amazing story and so inspirational and i hope that you get so much from listening to her any aha moments any shifts in perception any huge insights that you get from listening to this, please do share with me. I love to hear your healing. You can write a comment in the comments below the YouTube video or the Instagram post, or you can write me a message directly through my website, www.nikkiclinch.com. My book Surrender is now available all over the world where you can buy books. You can buy it on my website as well. And if you love this podcast and love this content, then please do leave us a review because your reviews really matter and help this content spread far and wide. And do, of course, subscribe to our Soul Surgery channel. So thank you for listening. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Over to Zoe Blasky. Zoe, Zoe, Zoe. Hello. Hi, my love. How are you doing? I'm okay. I was saying just before we started recording, it's 9am we're recording here. So with two kids, it's quite frantic the mornings. I'm sure you have that too. So I'm just settling actually from the kind of, you know, the 30 things I've already done this morning, none of which are for me, <laughs> you know, controlling yeah. a five-year-old to her new school, you know, the two-year-old can't find her shoes, you know, breakfast, toys, book bags, homework, snacks. Yeah. You know. So then just coming to sit with you. So it's almost like just clawing back all that fragmented energy, you know, it's just scatters, doesn't it? Yes. And, and you really are in a new routine, same routine, new life, because you've just moved, haven't you? Yeah. And the routine's very different. You know, London, we've just moved from London to Dorset. Not as big as your move, unfortunately. <laughs> but for me, quite a big thing. Um, we're yeah, that's by a big sea deal. Well. Yeah, we're by the sea. It's beautiful. But actually, the pace of life, even though we're in the same country, we're in the same school system. You know, Jesse's London school. 
she's only five, but she had to be there at eight. Mm. And I really challenged it with the school. Like that seems insane to me so early to get out the door and, you know, everything that has to go with it. Whereas the Dorset school is, uh, nine, 10. So actually our mornings look really different, still frantic because, you know, it's life, but you know, a lot more room to, Jesse can have a play in the morning. We can connect and yeah. So it's, you know, I think the thing, I don't know if you found this when you left London, but you just get used to the pace of London. Mm-hmm. Just get used to it. I was there 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I think I can almost feel my nervous system just kind of slowing a bit already here. Yep. Um, you know, like I asked a mum for a coffee and she had like 10 available dates for me this week. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. in London, you ask someone for a coffee and they give you a date three months in the future. You in know? like it's three like, months away. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, if you're lucky. No, here, here I can just text someone in the morning and uh, I'll, I, I can meet them in like half an hour <laughs> up the road. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's different. I think I love the energy of London. I love it. And, you know, it served me so well. And, uh, you know, but I think that just for me comes a time, it came a time when I just wanted that slower pace and more spaciousness and to be by the sea and But it's all really new still because hmm. how oh, yes, long has it been? 10 days. Okay. So it's super, super new. And just a little bit of from our experience, it it really takes a good two or three months before you start realizing that you're not just visiting. And, oh, this is life now. This is not just like a holiday, an extended holiday. Um, and you, you know, you guys are, you'll go through different phases of integrating this shift. And, you know, I, for us, it, it, it's taking almost the whole year for it to, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and until we realize, oh, this is like, this is really permanent now. Yeah. So yeah, I, think, I think I can, I can see that particularly as we didn't plan very well. So we moved and then we had a family wedding that weekend mm-hmm. and then we had a week of new life and Jessie started her new school my five-year-old and then we had a big you know friendship group camping trip so it's kind of like our feet have not touched the floor yet and I'm mm-hmm. really aware of that in my energy and you know and I struggle as well I don't know if you found this like I do struggle in external chaos like the house is just chaos mm-hmm. and I feel like every room that I walk into what I see is a kind of to-do list and so I'm really practicing just not allowing that to color the magic of this time, like just allowing, seeing the mess and then just trying to allow it to just be and not think about when I'm going to get that done or just, it's a new for me. It's new for me because in the past I definitely would have, you know, pushed myself to get it all sorted within a week and, and I'm not doing that. It's still chaos and it probably hopefully will be in a few months still. Because then I would have probably surrendered to it. So that's what I'm practicing at the moment is just, can I have a really calm inner world with a really chaotic, messy, can't find anything, boxes everywhere, outer world? Mm -hmm. And you said the magic word. The magic word is surrender. And that's why I've invited you here because I wanted to speak with you about what you know, I've been, I've been sitting with 
with people such as yourself who have platforms, who have um, spaces of impact in the world. And I thought it was really um, useful and interesting to have you share your human story about the greatest point of surrender in your life and, and the process in which you had to face it, travel through it, journey through it, learn from it, um, what surprised you and then the gifts that came out the other side. And because I just think it, I, I don't think we can hear these stories enough that actually it takes enormous courage and that these points that feel like breakdowns or like the ends of something are actually the beginnings, um, of something tremendous or could be, um, and just following on from what you just said about finding stillness in external chaos, you know, I would imagine that that is a gift that comes from having journeyed through a lot of chaos <laughs> or from navig learning how to navigate through the chaos so many times. And then eventually there's the gift of being able to go, oh, maybe I can just let that be the way it is today and I don't have to let it affect me. But I want to hear from you. So what, when I say to you the biggest point of surrender in your life, what was the first thing that came to mind? Without a doubt, it was becoming a mother for the first time. Okay. Out doubt. Yeah, when you said that when we first joined and you said that's you know what I want to talk about, it just it just was unequivocal that that is my biggest point of surrender. Mm -hmm. So share with us who were you before that point? Like who who was Zoe? Who were you being in the world? Who how was your life? How did you think of yourself? Like share a little bit about uh, about yourself. Yeah, I mean it's it's fascinating because like anything, it's it's not a neat story. And I think sometimes there's a desire to want to make these stories kind of neat in a bow, and that wasn't my experience. I, you know, grew up in a very perfect looking but very emotionally dysfunctional family, very loving. Mm -hmm. but uh, there was a lot of addiction in my family. There was a lot of secrecy. There was a lot of unresolved trauma. And when I was 23, I was given the gift of a breakdown, which is another point of surrender, but not the one I'm going to talk about today. And yeah, that breakdown, you know, really opened me because I found a 12-step fellowship called Al-Anon, which is for family and friends of addicts and alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And that really, for the first time in my life, I started to question what I thought of myself. You know, I had cripplingly low esteem, which I would mask with achievement. So I was, I was a very, very high achiever. Mm -hmm. Never got beat my whole life. Mm -hmm. Whatever I did, I aced. That was how I masked what was going on underneath, which of course is going to play into my motherhood narrative when we get to it, because I thought I could apply the same coping tool. And of course yep. it does not yep. work that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, yeah, I was given the gift of this breakdown and, you know, I was suicidal at my lowest point. I 
you know, I'd coped for so long with what was going on in my family. My family had a, a year of quite a spectacular implosion. Um, I don't talk about the details out of, you know, boundary for my family, but it was, it was mm. very, very, very full on. And I coped through that. You know, I mm. coped through that. Not, not functionally. I was drinking a lot. I was experimenting with recreational drugs mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I was working till midnight, 1am every night. And I was only a graduate on a graduate scheme. You know, it didn't require that level of hours. I was just avoiding myself. That was how I coped. And I'm very grateful for those because those adaptations enabled me to survive that time. But then as, as my family started to stabilize somewhat, that's when I fell apart, which is very typical in, you know, family dysfunctional stories. The coper falls apart when the other people start to get well again. Yep. <clears throat> and I luckily found Al-Anon and that, that gave me this uh, idea of spirituality and it gave me this idea of challenging some of what I thought of myself and it gave me a way to create some structure in my life and my esteem started to rise. Mm-hmm. And throughout my 20s, so it's, I was 23, and that enabled me to find a job that I felt more suited to, enabled me to start dating more appropriate people, although that was a big old journey, and then ultimately enabled me to meet my now husband when I was 29. But I still, you know, I would say I hadn't fully surrendered at that point to a spiritual way of life. I would still allow my will to determine, you know, even though I had a sense of what would be the highest good for me, sometimes I was still unable to do that for myself. So I would still take the low road, you know, I'd still push the easy button at times. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't get sober until I was 31. So I was still drinking at that point when I met my husband. And we got married and that was a whole interesting experience in itself around surrender because we had pre-marriage therapy, which was one of the best things that we'd done. Yeah, it was one of the best things. That's quite unusual to have pre-marriage therapy. What, What caused you to do that? Well, I was reflecting on it. I was talking to lots of, I I guess, awakened people about marriage. And I was talking about how the the absence of religion, you know, whereas religion, typically in the past, you would speak to your vicar or your rabbi about, you know, your issues on how you felt about money, how you felt about sharing childcare, how you felt about each other's careers, how you felt about sex, how you felt about where you wanted to live, all these things. And very slowly it kind of dawned on me, actually, we need a container to talk about those really important things. Hmm. Um, And so I, yeah, I found a therapist to help us talk about those things. She almost did like a pre-marriage course for us Hmm. where we would talk about, yeah, it was, it was incredibly powerful. And we would do these coaching exercises. Like I remember sat down and you know, we had like the wedding invitations piled high on one side of the table. And then on the other side, we were doing this coaching exercise, which was writing out our hopes and our fears for marriage, mm. you know, what we think marriage is. And it was really powerful. It hasn't made it played sailing, but it definitely, definitely helped. I think most people are so, well, it's not that dissimilar to having a baby, actually. You're so focused on the wedding, you're so focused on the birth, that you're really not prepared for the actual marriage. Um, exactly. and, and it kind of can hit you like a ton of bricks when you realize that 
what you wanted was the wedding, but <laughs> what you end up with is the marriage. <laughs> That's the part you have to live. Exactly. And interestingly, I did, I did the same with the birth. So we got, we got pregnant very quickly and I, it was fascinating actually that the surrender, even through the pregnancy and the birth experience, because my, in, my mother and father-in-law said to me, you know, we'll pay for you to have your baby at a private hospital. I was like, amazing. So I, so I went to look around to one of these very posh private hospitals in London. And mm-hmm. um, I, was, I was probably, what, 13 weeks pregnant. I had not done any research. I knew nothing. What mm-hmm. I saw was the menu. I was like, wow, I was pretty, (laughs) you know, you can order whatever you want. I was thinking, this is incredible. It's like a hotel. I've never seen a menu like that. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) There were a couple of of interesting flags, you know, where there's this lovely consultant, but she was saying to me, so I'll let you do this. And when you get to this point, I'll do this. Mm. And even then, you know, I hadn't done any research on birth or, you know, those were kind of flags to me because I was thinking, well, hang on a minute, this is my experience. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was very, very deepening my spiritual life. And mm-hmm. I was reading a lot of books by American authors who kept talking about this Kundalini teacher called Gurmukh Khalsa. Every book that I picked up mentioned her name. And I'd had an mm-hmm. experience uh, actually at a Gabrielle Bernstein workshop in London where she had led a Kundalini meditation that was almost like an awakening for me it was incredibly powerful and actually led me to surrendering to becoming a mother so I I was in we went on holiday and I was in Tulum and we were meant to go to this yoga class and the teacher didn't show up and the studio came out and said listen I'm going to send another teacher it's going to be half an hour do you want to wait Pretty much no one waited around. And Guy and I were like, we're on holiday. We've got nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. So we hung around. And through the door, I'd never done a Kundalini class. I'd only read about this woman. And through the door walks this kind of vision in white. And it was a Kundalini teacher. And I was about to do my first Kundalini class, totally unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And I said to her at the end, you know, I'm just getting so into yoga and now I'm pregnant. I was going to do my teacher training this year, but now I'm pregnant, so I can't. And she said, why don't you do pregnancy training? Be a great time when you've, you've got the experience. And I just thought that's a great idea. You know, when you have that knowing, I didn't question it. I was like, that's a great idea. And my next yep. thought, which was definitely not from myself, it was definitely a higher thought, was mm-hmm. you should see if that Kundalini teacher in LA does pregnancy training. At the time, I had no idea she was the pioneer of <laughs> pregnancy training. She almost invented pregnancy yoga. I didn't know that. So I, I looked her up and as the universe would had it, she was doing her first ever training in Europe that summer, mm. which would fit mm. perfectly with the timings of my pregnancy. She's only ever done them in LA before and I probably wouldn't have gone to LA pregnant on my own. So that experience and surrendering to those intuitive nudges didn't make sense on paper. I'd never done a Kundalini class. Mm -hmm. Why would I go and do Kundalini training? Mm -hmm. But it just felt right. 
on paper, I cannot tell you, it made zero sense. It was quite a lot of money. It was two weeks away from Guy and work. And I just knew, I just knew. Amazing. And so I booked it straight away. Never booked anything as quickly, never made an investment as quickly without thinking about it. I just knew. And now I can see, looking back, joining the dots, that this was all part of my purpose to what I do today, Motherkind. Mm-hmm. I had no idea at the time. I had no idea. I was a marketing consultant. You know, that's what I was doing. That's how I was earning my money. That was my plan as far as I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I just fully surrendered into this experience. And I found myself on an island in Sweden. To this date, it's probably, apart from birthing my babies, the best experience of my life. There was 40 women from all around the world, incredibly awakened women, all Kundalini teachers apart from me. Half of them were midwives. So I had two weeks with probably now, like some of the the best midwives, you know, in the world were there Mm -hmm. on this training because Gurmukh is so revered and she only does one of these trainings a year. And so they would talk to me at, at break, right? And at lunch and in the classes, you know, what's, what's the plan? And they would talk to me about these ideas that I'd never heard of, conscious birth, conscious parenting. Mm. You know, about the first five years, we watched documentary after documentary with Gurmukh. You know, there were long days. The, te- the training was kind of mm. 12 to 15 hour days. We were doing 200 squats a day. I've never been stronger or fitter Wow. We were doing rebirthing. We were doing a static dance. We were doing, I mean, it was, it was not a yoga training. It was, it was so much more than that. It was so much more than that. And that really was my point of awakening into my mm. motherhood journey, which was, it's still to me when I tell the story, you know, it's funny, I don't tell it that often these days. It's just, it's so fascinating to me how, didn't make any sense on paper and yet there I was just having this experience and Mm. I'll tell you something that's funny Nikki because I'd never done Kundalini before I didn't know that you had to wear white so I just packed Mm. my normal yoga clothes like my black lululemons I mean it's so embarrassing (laughs) when I think about it and I got there and they were like no you have to wear white and so all these women like pulled all their clothes for me. Like everyone lo- loaned me a piece of clothing so that I could be in white too. It was just so special. And at the end, the, there were there were 40 women and there were three of us that were pregnant. And Gurmuk reveres the pregnant woman, as it should be, as it is in many cultures. So everyone had to do dharma, washing up, you know, cleaning, not us. You know, we had people had to give us treatments every day because there were reflexologists there, there were Reiki masters there, there were sound healers there. So every day oh. someone had to gift us a treatment. It was unbelievable. And at the end, they did a ceremony for us. And I'm still, I'm feeling emotional because it was one of the most powerful moments of my life where they kind of, you know, all these women stood in circle with us and, you know, wrote down their wishes for me as a mother. And the wishes for my child, and so beautiful, so beautiful. And of course, I got back to London, and uh, there was actually an incredible thing that happened halfway through the week as well. Which I I will just share that. So halfway through this week, I decide that I'm going to have a home birth, 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my in-laws, thank you very much for the offer of the very generous, posh, private London hospital, but I'm going to have a baby at home. And I was sat one night in meditation. We had to meditate for you know a lot of hours a day. And yeah. my thoughts were wondering, how am I going to sell this to Guy? You know, mm. how am I going to sell this idea of a home birth to Guy? He's not going to go for it. He's so scientific and medical. How is he going to? come out of that meditation and I swear to God, I look at my phone and there's a message from Guy and it says, I've just been out with the lads. We're all talking about uh, their births, you know, because obviously I was pregnant, got onto the subject. He said, everyone said it was horrific apart from one friend who'd had a home birth and said it was amazing. And the way he talked about it, I think we should consider it. Would you be up for it? Wow. So that was that. But we had to, you know, again, I had to really, really lean into the power that those women gave me. You know, I was, Mm. I didn't know anyone that had a home birth. And, you know, my in-laws in particular found that decision really hard. They didn't, they couldn't talk to us about it. It was really difficult. I really had to lean into my power and my decision. And that was my first big surrender of becoming a mother. That's such an amazing story. Uh, uh, what I want to ask you is, um, and you can see that I'm kind of really looking, I, I want to ask you this question. You know, when you say that that was my biggest point of awakening, let's try and break this down. Do you remember, I know it was a while ago, but do you remember when you were in the process and everything's new and you're in the group and you're doing all the dance and the uh, meditation. Do you remember the actual shift that was starting to happen in your perception of yourself and what is possible and old ideas versus new openings? Do you remember those shifts? Yeah, there's a moment and I, th- I think the, 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 I'll talk the internal experience up until that moment. You know, the, the, the juxtaposition between being four months pregnant, being squashed onto the Northern line every morning because I was commuting to a consulting job in the city, no one giving me a seat, having to ask every single morning for a seat, mm. feeling pretty disconnected to the baby, you know, yep. feeling like, there's a lot of negativity, people trying to tell me, you know, their horrific birth stories. And and the juxtaposition to being on this island in Sweden with this woman who were revering me yeah. unlocked a sense of worth in me that I didn't know existed mm. from other women. Yeah. And I remember this moment. It's still, I, I picture it, you know, you say, do you remember? I can picture it like I'm there now. I'd gone out to the toilet because obviously I was going to the toilet every 20 minutes, which was actually quite a nice break when we were doing like three hour long meditations. (laughs) I was like, I need the toilet again. Yeah. (laughs) Such a kiver. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I'd gone to the toilet probably for the 10th time that morning. And it was a beautiful setting. It was this, it was this remote Island and the birds were singing and I, and I, and I walked out to the toilet and I went in and I came back up and 
I walked along this kind of rickety wooden path into the hall where we were doing the training and I opened the door and I could just hear this music. And I opened the door and there were these women, 39 of them, mm. in ecstatic dance, a sea of white. And some people mm. were crying with joy. Some people were sobbing with pain of what, being, of what was being released. There was my pregnant, two pregnant friends there, you know, holding their bellies, swaying. And I stood there and time froze. I just burst into tears because I realized in that moment that there was all of life in that room and everyone was holding it for each other. There was so much authenticity and no one had had their mask on. And I realized that that's really what life was about. And I realized how out of alignment in many ways, my life was at that point because I was putting a mask on every day and going off to work in a city and I hated it. Mm. So in that moment, something died, an idea of who you'd been being and that was as good as it gets, just kind of started to I just, dissolve. I just started crying with joy. I just thought I didn't know that you could experience that much joy sober with a bunch of strangers I was like this is what happens when you connect to spirit and soul you know and Gurmak I know you know her she is I mean she's on she's on another plane she is like been she's 76 she's been meditating for almost that long you know she's she's unbelievable the space that she held yeah, and I think from that moment of seeing that, I've never really been the same. And I guess unconsciously, my subconscious, it wasn't conscious, decided that I would spend the rest of my life doing this work. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, so off I went back to London, a different person, but the same person, right? People didn't know that I had changed in this way but I felt totally different mm -hmm. you know I would I was listening I was you know deep into Kundalini at that point you know I'd be doing it five six hours a day I'd quit the consultancy you know I told Guy he had to support me for the last couple of months of my pregnancy I was like that's it yep and I had this incredible birth incredible birth and I think because I had that experience, I assumed that I would be this earth mother mm -hmm. and that I would have this easy, you know, because Gurmukh was teaching us, you know, it's just about connection. You'd be present with your baby, it's about connection. And that wasn't my experience. Mm. And that was really the greatest challenge Mm -hmm. of my life again the juxtaposition came up you know of the this great desire to be this kind of earth mother and you know the mothers that I'd seen in Sweden and to emulate them and you know I, I wanted to be kind of breastfeeding in a boost sling all the time and that wasn't my experience and you know that's really the bulk of the surrender is surrendering to what it was actually like for me which was unbelievably hard because what I hadn't prepared for at all 
was that all of my old coping behaviors, mm. all yeah. of them came mm-hmm. very quickly when I was at my most vulnerable. So, you know, my kind of core wounding leads me to give my power away to experts. I started doing that. I started trying mm-hmm. to speed read books on how to breastfeed in between feeds because breastfeeding wasn't working. You know, I had mm-hmm. feeding consultant after feeding consultant, some of which were looking back almost abusive with how mm. much they were telling me I had to just make this work. My perfectionism came to the surface. You know, I became obsessed with routine and getting Jesse to nap in routine. Yeah, I really, really, really struggled. I totally lost my spiritual connection through sleep deprivation. You know, Jessie didn't really sleep for a year. She's mm. still not a great sleeper now. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had so many challenges, Guy and I. You know, at one point I thought we were going to break up. Yeah, at one point I thought we're not going to survive this. I now know that is incredibly normal. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was like, what is this? And I, you know, stopped going to Al-Anon meetings. I couldn't get to them. I would try and listen to some meditations and kind of spiritual stuff. But I just, I think what it did is it threw me back into survival. Yes. And all of my survival tools that had helped me survive a very chaotic, dysfunctional childhood, mm-hmm. I tried to use to help me survive the first year of motherhood. And it was unbelievably painful because I knew what I was doing. I also had this high expectation of myself given this incredible experience and this home birth in Gurmuk. And so I definitely had postnatal anxiety. You know, I would feel very, very anxious. Mm very low I didn't feel like myself Mm. it was you know now I know a very normal experience of the first year of motherhood actually very normal which is what ultimately led me to to mother kind um but at the time I couldn't surrender to it I found it I was fighting the experience yeah. I'm just wishing that it was different. I wasn't enjoying it. You know, I, I look back on photos of me in that first year and I, yeah, I can see the struggle in my face. I can see the sadness. I can see the loss. Really- you know, I just want to um, come in and just um, add this. You know, one thing that just doesn't get to be spoken enough about is, you know, when we have babies, it is the ultimate opening of love. It is the purest, most intense love that you, that we've experienced. And love is the trigger point for all the aspects that there have been pain, unhealed wounds in the past. So of course this, this, baby that is this opening for love also opens every single aspect that makes us want to survive that we survived heartbreak in the past so it makes perfect sense but when you're in it it's like 
you can't see the wood for the trees. No, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And it was when Jesse was about eight months, I would say, that I had another mini breakdown. Yep. In a lot of ways. And I, you know, remembered, I remembered that there's another way. And I started to see a little bit of distance between my behaviors, you know, my very controlling, perfectionist, beating myself up. My God, I was beating myself up. There was times when I thought, you know, this baby would be better off without you. You know, you're such mm-hmm. a shit mum. Mm. Yeah, I was re- really, really, really struggled. And yeah, and I was about eight months and I started, I reached out to a therapist, an, an incredible somatic therapist. And that was the beginning of another surrender into a, a yep. deeper healing than I ever thought possible. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, unfortunately for me, and I think for most of the human experience, the gateway to healing is pain. And that was... Yep definitely my experience I needed all that pain of those Mm -hmm. first eight months with Jesse in order to gateway into you know where I am now and I started to do the things that I know that I needed to do I picked up my journal again and I would actually write about what was going on for me I would meditate again I reconnected with my spiritual communities I and then I started looking around because I'd been consuming all of this content um, before, mm-hmm. you know, with spiritual teachers and, you know, Marianne Williamson and Gabor Mate. And then I started looking around for a motherhood platform about this stuff. I was like, I want to mm-hmm. find who, someone who's talking about this experience of motherhood in this way and who can bring these, these teachings and these teachers and put a, that spin on it because that's what I wanted at the time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find one. I found Dr. Shafali, who mm-hmm. is an American author of The Conscious Parent, and I consumed that book and I consumed her courses and I actually went on and did some trainings with her. But I couldn't find anyone in the UK. And that was starting to plant a seed to, again, another massive surrender, which was that I could make this part of my purpose in the world. Yeah. Before you go on there, I, I just want to track back a bit because there was a really important point and I want to highlight it for the listeners. When you said you had another breakdown when Jesse was eight months and it led you to go and see the somatic therapist. Now, what I wanted to highlight was, and this is important for the listeners to hear, there was a, a moment before you went made the decision to get in touch with that therapist. There's a moment that happens before we ask for help. And what do you know what that moment is? Mm, I thought my marriage isn't going to survive this. Yes, it's there's a moment when we are ready to say to ourselves I can't, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I thought if I don't, if I don't get help now, I'm going to be a single parent. And I did not want that. I loved my husband. I I love him today. You know, I, but I could see how 
you know, it, yeah, we weren't going to survive it. And I knew that so much of that was on me. You know? Yeah, I, and I, I think that... That takes a certain amount of humility. And this is so important for people to hear because we live in a world where we're obsessed or we're taught that we should always know. We should know what to do. We should know where to go. We should have the answers. And if we don't, somehow we're missing it or we're missing something. But actually, it's an enormous moment of humility and courage that is the beginning of transformation when we can say, okay, I really don't know. Well, it's the beginning of every surrender and transformation in my story is, you know, the, the breakdown at 23, I was like, I am, can I swear? I am, you know, yes. fucked. I'm, I <laughs> yeah. am, I, I literally remember having, you know, I call it my bathroom floor moment and I've had many since. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I was, <laughs> and I was on the bathroom floor and I was like, I don't know. I'm, there's always in my experience, you have to get to that point, the gift of desperation have to be desperate enough to get my ego out the way yeah I have to be otherwise my ego is going to try and protect you know and keep it going and say oh I've got the answers and I just need to read that book or I just need to do that course or I just need to and then it will all be fine you know there's such a it's and it's so in a way I wish it wasn't that way because it's so painful that place it's so painful and it's so scary it feels like the floor is falling from under me and the walls are caving in it's petrifying but I now know having been through that enough times what's on the other side of that which is some form of transformation and healing and that's what happened I thought I remember I thought I'm going to I was just sobbing and I was sobbing and I was on the bed and Jesse was lying next to me, eight months old. And yeah, I thought I've got to do something. And that, and that was, you know, this deeper healing that I'm, you know, living today. And, you know, I hadn't really done any body work up until that point. I hadn't done any somatic work. I'd not read Peter Levine. I hadn't read Body Keeps School. That, that whole body of work was new to me. And that was really what unlocked mm. a huge part of my healing and transformation and yeah, and that started when Jesse was eight months, which of course brings its own challenges because I was still exhausted and mm-hmm. still trying to get to grips with this motherhood and my role and the love and the pain and the and then the and then again, you know, the ultimate surrender was starting motherkind because my ego did not want me to do it at all. Really. Why? What, what was it saying? What were the because thoughts? I I was a my I was very identified as a high flying career woman. You know, I was <laughs> I was putting on the suits, even though I you know I was living this kind of closeted spiritual life from twenty three. You know, was very closeted. I would never talk about it to my friends. <laughs> I would, you know. I would go to, I would be reading business books on the train. You know, sometimes the power of now would be like tucked inside and that's really what I'd be reading. But, you know, I would, I, my, I had a lot of esteem from being the successful one. Yeah. From, you know, I always assumed that I would be a CEO, you know, guy, my husband laughs at me now. He's like, I can't believe that was your dream. Like, that was so embarrassing. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, rise up the ranks 
in a corporation and, and you know that came from such a broken place yeah such that a broken was your way place. of surviving exactly and I mm-hmm. you know I didn't want to you know have my face on Instagram talking about healing I didn't want that at all you know that's why I called it mother kind didn't want my name on it I was like I'll yeah. just I'll just not have you know I'll just do it in the background Mm-hmm. There was a big One part thing I want to bring up. Go on. I was going to say there was a big part of me that you know wanted to share this. You know, I mm-hmm. really did, and I wanted to you know talk about motherhood in this way. And but I really had to surrender that that defended ego that mm-hmm. wanted me to continue to look very externally successful Mm -hmm. I have a chapter in in my book called a whole chapter dedicated to this I call it letting go of pictures that we we get to this point where there's this picture of who we thought we were we needed to be that's me I'm gonna be this one that looks like that like this isn't me but what's phenomenal as as you're sharing your story it's so obvious to me I hope I hope I'd like it to become clear for the listeners that in the midst of your breakdown, in the midst of the madness, something was being born. Mother Kind had already been born. Yeah, it had been born in that hall with those women. Yeah. I just didn't I just didn't know it. Yeah. I just didn't know it then. And it had been born in the pain, you know, had I had an easy breezy first year with Jesse, I wouldn't have started Mother Kind. No way. Because I wouldn't have needed it. Yeah. So I needed. Wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> wouldn't have bothered. I would have just gone back yeah. and done my consultancy and got my day rate and lovely jubbly, you know. But yeah. but you know that that the pain. I think the juxtaposition of the the ecstasy and the joy and the the spiritual awakening of the of being with those women in Sweden for that time and the home birth and you know really juxtaposing that with the pain of seeing all this old behaviour and really dysfunctional ways of coping you know coming out for those first eight months Mm -hmm. it was those two things the light and the shade of those two things that that led me ultimately to be able to surrender enough to start mother kind but I never would have started it without the pain and I see that you know I know you do as well I see that day in day out the most beautiful things I think on this planet are born out of pain or an unmet need in someone and they think you know, I'm going to go and do it myself. And mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting how, you know, it makes me laugh. These workshops, like, you know, five steps to figure out your purpose. I think you have to, you can't sit there and analyze your purpose. It comes to you through you living your life. Yes, that's true. It is actually, it's actually tapping on your shoulder in the midst of your tears. <laughs> always, like, always. And, you know, my mum said to me the other day, this, this made me laugh. She said, oh, well, I was talking about the podcast. Um, she said, oh, well, I'm not surprised that you're doing a podcast. I said, what? She went, oh, well, when you were five, all you ever wanted to do was play radios and you used to record your voice and you'd play your voice back and you'd keep recording it until you got it perfect. I mean, obviously I was perfectionist, you know, when you, that's you wanted to interview me and your dad and your brother and you'd invite us onto your show. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me any of this? 
when I was struggling, you know, not knowing who I was or what I wanted to do or, you know, so now I can see that, you know, those, when I can step into my higher self and let my true essence lead, I was born to do this. You know, I love it. I was born to do it. But I think had I not had those moments of unbelievable pain and surrender and then breakthrough, Mm-hmm. there's no way I'd be doing this. There's no way that I would be sitting still with a somatic therapist, you know, a couple of hours a week because mm-hmm. we need the pain. I need the pain. I won't speak for others. I need the pain in order to accelerate, as you were saying, that bathroom floor moment of, I don't know. I need, I need that. I think what's so remarkable to me, and I've been lucky enough to sit with a few people like yourself now interviewing for this series. And, you know, of course I wrote the book based on my own story, um, as well, that what's so obvious to me is that the one that you've grown into, like you were saying, she was already recording her radio shows, you know, as a little girl, she was always there. Yes. But buried underneath these ideas and these these pictures and these these survival strategies just buried and you would never well, have known she was, she was there she, no she was buried under trauma and you know I I you know when I was younger all I wanted to do was be on stage and act and speak and sing and you know and then I was cripplingly bullied and you know which I know is a story for so many particularly mm-hmm. women I think and I just hid you know I just hid and I put on a suit literally and metaphorically and I just put my head down and I tried to achieve mm-hmm. and I hid. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel so grateful for my family. Like I feel so grateful that they had enough pain that forced me to look at my own because I never, ever would have gone through the peeling those layers of trauma away, the healing in order to get to the essence of who I am. And I'm still doing that. I think it's an ever lifetime assignment. I don't think you mm-hmm. finish. It's not my experience. But well, we but hope the, not because we yeah. always get to grow. We just keep growing and growing and growing. And that's the gift of it. And I think it's really important to highlight that the pain that you're speaking about and I speak about too, it, it was always there we just weren't able to really access it. It, What comes up is what is, is, is what is buried and, and what we've disconnected from and what we've disassociated from. And so the pain is not coming out of nowhere. In fact, it's, we're, we're feeling it, something that's always been there. And that is the process of healing. Yeah. And I think, you know, I truly believe that Jessie, my first daughter, you know, her sole contract was to trigger all that in me in order for me to, to, to go on a deeper healing journey. Now, some people might not connect with that idea. I suspect if they're listening to your podcast, Nikki, they, they will. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might not say that on a more mainstream <laughs> podcast, your sole contract. And, you know, but I really believe that. I really believe that she came in at that time to help me heal all of that you know my second born rose 
Mm-hmm. Her sole contract with me is to have to, is to lean me more into joy. She I, is. I was just going to say she's embodied. joy. She's joy embodied. Like she stops people in the street with her light that emanates from that child's soul. Like people don't know why they stop. Like, but they say to me, she's incredible. Like mm. random people. And I know that, you know, I still have a problem with leaning into my light and my joy. And she's teaching me that, you know, Jesse awakened me and Rose is teaching me to just live enjoy which is my you know what I want to be doing more and more she just does that she rarely cries she is just unbelievable and that's Mm -hmm. you know what she's teaching me and I'm surrendering Mm. to that more and more and more and just laughing with her you know just giggling (laughs) with her sometimes for hours you know when my head wants me to look at what I've got to sort out and worm myself on the floor just laughing with this you know, baby. And, you know, but she's teaching me that I'm surrendering to that experience as well. It's so profound. It's so profound that we get to, you know, like you, you know, not only do this once, but I get to go through the transformation twice, you know, because I've become a mother twice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Zoe, I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Um, it's such an honor to hear that story. I have heard it before, but I heard it deeper this time. I heard it much deeper this time. And it really, it really highlights to me that mother kind was always meant to be Mm. something that you were meant, that you were meant to birth and realize it was waiting for you to, to connect with it, to realign with it, Mm. to live it. Um, Mm. And I'm so grateful that you did. Thank you for your courage to keep going through that darkness. You know, that in itself is quite something to be able to, to come through the darkness and find the light and find the help and to keep going. And, and yeah, I want to thank you for that because that's a gift for every mother that you've, you've helped ever since. And it's a gift for anyone listening here. And one of the reasons why I've even started this surrender series is because there's something profound about the human story, like these these stories that you're sharing, and it's not a story you lived it is is a beacon of light. It's a beacon of hope that these moments that feel like all the lights went out, you know there is there is a way through. doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> doesn't mean it's comfortable but there is there is a there is tremendous gifts at the other end if you can just put one foot in front of the other so thank you for sharing yourself with me you're welcome thank you for holding <laughs> space and for, for inviting me well i i just wish you so well um and mother kind is just growing and growing I've known you for many years now and it is just booming and I'm so proud of you I really am so what's what's the next kind of amazing thing I'm sure you're doing something there's something that you've just launched is there like a group program that you've just launched yeah I just launched a group program but that's that's close that's full and closed now so I'm very grateful for that which I'm not sure the timing was very good because I decided to launch it during my two-week house move so I didn't really promote it very well. So I'm incredibly grateful that 
some beautiful souls found their own way to it, digging around from a hidden web page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just shown that you can sell out a program with absolute grace and ease and uh, not trying very hard. <laughs> the marketing consultant in May is not having a very good time. She's like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, I think for me, actually, you know, that the next kind of couple of months is not so much work. It's more integrating into our new life, you know, supporting the girls yep. to do that. Jessie needs a lot of emotional support. So really leaning into that, helping, thinking about building myself a community here. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to find those women who are, I was going to say spiritual, but not even that. Just just some women who are interested in 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 some deeper questions of life, who may be on a path of self inquiry. You know, those are the people that I like to hang out with today. So I need mm. to I need to find some community here, and then you know I'm, I plan to write a book. So you know I'm going through the the kind of final stages of a deal at the moment, and then that will be my next big project is yeah, putting the, yeah. the story that I was sharing here and many others with some of my you know tools and ideas and the wisdom from the 180 odd guests that I've had on the podcast into a book Amazing. quite a big project to take on <laughs> but I yeah that's, wait for that that's um <laughs> yeah that's what's that's what's next and then you know the weekly podcast you know what it takes to get a weekly podcast out you know that takes I up do. a lot of my focus and and energy so I'll keep doing that as long as people want to keep listening I'll keep doing it and then I'll just see you know I think it's always like you you know my business plan is always to just surrender to what is needed and what people are asking Mm -hmm. and listening keep listening Mm -hmm. thank you I can't wait for the book I'm so excited for that um but really enjoy these next few months in your new life it's been a hell of a year there was a a a kind of a profound moment when you were speaking about being in Sweden on the island with the women and you spoke about and I realized I was there without my mask and and none of us were in our masks and it just Mm. kind of I felt the profound just that moment of of where we are now in the world and that the remembering of that gift of gathering together in that deep connection is medicine um being able to really see each other and hold space for each other is just so so important and so healing so yeah that just kind of felt poignant so Mm. i hope that you enjoy these next few months integrating in this new life it's your kids, I'm sure, I'm sure Jesse's been through a hell of a year as well, mm. the last year in London. So I really wish you guys a peaceful time there. And, and no doubt your community is already going to find you very soon. Mm. Thank you, so darling. Thank you. Thank Aww. you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.